this is about skills. This is not about character. This is something that I talk about all the time. Yes. Our children are not flawed, you know, in any way re related to their character. They are lacking skills and our responsibility is to teach those skills. And the majority of skills can be taught through consistent modeling. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Dig News Dreams podcast. I'm your host, Dave Capozzi. This week, I welcome the amazing Joy Merrily Jackson to the podcast. Joy has over 20 years of experience in education as a teacher and school leader. She now works as a parenting coach as well as an arts education consultant in several New York City schools and arts organizations. I came across her work on TikTok, where she has over 112,000 followers. Her voice for conscious parenting is so important. And since I connected with her to find some new strategies for parenting my kiddos, I had to share what she has to offer with you all. If you want to keep up with the podcast, subscribe to whatever platform you're using to listen right now. You can find a consistent conversation happening on TikTok if you search for my name, Dave Capozzi, and on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Dig New Streams Podcast. Without further ado, my conversation with Joy Merrily Jackson. You talk about how children are the most oppressed group, like the most marginalized. Yeah. And when you say that instantly, I think I understand that I connect with it, but do you mind explaining a little bit more what you mean when you say that? So they have the least amount of rights. And I think it stems from the fact that we don't really see them fully as human. In that video, I compare their struggle, although most people don't identify that they are living in any sort of struggle, um, to that of formerly enslaved people or black people in this country, um, or of the African diaspora, as well as women, or, and I say, have to say specifically white women, because that's not, you know, taking into account of the intersection of being a black woman. And so as women, um, white women earned rights in this country that didn't apply to, to, to black women. But um, we have seen both of those movements and we recognize the evolution of the rights that both groups have attained over time. And so starting with both being considered property. And um, I think that I, I read a lot about so many different subjects and everything always comes back to parenting for me. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned that I was in the middle of the 1619 project and there was a whole chapter on property ownership. And so how many things in the foundings of this country were, or in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the amendments, all of that just um, talked about property. And so, and, and this is so that slavery didn't have to be mentioned because of course it's super hypocritical to be yep. talking about all of the, you know, the Declaration, Declaration of Independence and, <laughs> you know, all of these freedoms and liberties and you're yep. really like discounting a whole per percentage of the population at the time. Um, so everything was framed as property, but of course the biggest and most valuable property, biggest percentage of people's property and valuable was their human property. Mm. And so the reason why they gave so much rights, property rights, is so that they can control these people that they were enslaving. Yes. And so that they'd have the right to do whatever they want. So, mm. you know, they didn't have to say an exact language, you know, you can buy and sell your, your um, slaves or your human um, property. It would just say property. 
mm-hmm. this was so much about the fact that they couldn't limit the way the property was handled in any way, the way it was passed, the way it was, you know, even like you could be punished to death, but they would never put that necessarily in the language. But it's basically you can do what you need to with your property in order right. to maintain its value or to keep the value of your over, you know, like it was put yes. in all these convoluted terms, but it was really at the end of it about controlling black bodies, you know, right. Right. and then the same thing with white women in this country who had no rights, could not, you know, essentially didn't own themselves. Like they were kind of a lost soul if they weren't tied to a man, right? It was mm-hmm. your dad. And then when you're given away in marriage, this was literal, but sometimes purchased, right? Yeah. Give away to your husband, you couldn't own property. You couldn't sign contracts. You couldn't work. You couldn't earn, earn your own wages. You, you couldn't wear pants at some yeah. point in time, right. you know, all of this, men controlled all yes. aspects of white women, white men controlled all aspects of white women's lives. And right. so, uh, but once again, the idea was, this is so that I can do whatever I want with my property. I have the right to do this. I have the right to discipline my property in whatever way I see fit. Mm-hmm. And most of the time we see fit to to discipline. And I, we can talk later about the, the actual def- definition of dif- discipline, but yeah. this punishment was in order to main pa- maintain power. And so these are the things that I see on my social media posts quite a bit with children is that no one can tell me how to discipline my child. It's like it, it's almost like if you were to take newspaper clippings from each of these periods of time, you would find the same exact talking points, but talking about different groups of people. Mm. And so most people say you shouldn't get involved in how I discipline my child. This is my child. And they're, they're not saying as if, as if they're property but it's like the government shouldn't get involved. You shouldn't get involved. Right. And so men felt the same way. I posted another video of maybe a month after that of all of an article said, should men spank their wives if it's necessary? That was the wow. title of the article from the fifties. And all of these like just working class guys um, were just responding with, yeah, absolutely. You have to do it to maintain power so that they know who's boss, boss so that you know, we have to return back to the good old days and, you know, they have to know how good they have it because, you know, other people would have done this to their wives, spanking, wow. they're getting off flight, like that kind of wow. language. And it's the same exact thing as yes. people say about children today is that, you know, and the point of all of this is about the maintenance of power. If you don't use these harsh tactics, then they might think that they have power in this relationship. And so the thing mm. is, is that those groups, those these two marginalized groups that I've spoken about have had the opportunity to earn more liberties, both neither where they need to be, right? There's a, a number of systemic things that are keeping both groups um, out of the top percentage of accomplishments yeah. in a number of areas, right? Yeah. However, you know, how can we have a children's right, rights movement? because they're too young to to fight for their own rights. And the challenge is that most people don't see it. We're so indoctrinated into this idea that they need to be controlled in every aspect. This doesn't mean that children need to raise themselves, right? But they, but when we see them as property, just as anything else, it dehumanizes them. And so people make statements about them that they wouldn't make about (laughs) adult humans ever because we dehumanize them. Exactly. It's our, our job is to break their will. Yes. You know, and, and I think uh, I, I have these conversations often, but it just feels like we often expect more from children than we do from adults. Absolutely. And meanwhile, their brains aren't capable of handling 
things that a fully developed brain is capable of handling, except that in difficult circumstances, we expect them to respond with so much wisdom and poise. Yes. Yet we're, we're breaking their will all the way, all the yes. while. Yes, uh, absolutely. So, yeah. So you, you talk about this in a very different way than I'm, I'm used to hearing people talk about children. Mm-hmm. I would say it's a very helpful perspective. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how that translates into your work, just advocating for children's rights mm-hmm. yeah. and, and meanwhile, encouraging parents or just people in general to be conscious about the way they treat children. Absolutely. I think yeah. it's, it comes back to uh, humanizing children. I think we tend to see them. I almost want to say like they're a different species, yeah. you know, and, and we talk about them like, well, children need this. And so it's not to say that they don't have different needs, but we will fill in that blank with what children need with things that we wouldn't say are necessary for animals, for things we wouldn't say are necessary for any other age. And so what they need more than anyone else is support Mm. because of these developing brains. They don't need the harshness that mostly comes with what children need that is different from other people. Yeah. And so I think that in my work there, there's so much that goes, you know, that I've studied and it's, it's, it's crosses or it's an intersection between my studying of history and child development that impacts. And then, taking those two things and centering the humanity of the child. Yes. Because when you, you know, one of the, the, the courses I offer is called conscious and connected discipline. And, you know, one of the things I say, things that we assume to be true is how I open up every class that I do. Mm. Children are just people. <laughs> children are just people. And it's, it's interesting how profound a statement that is because so often I have to say it, when I am describing the way I would handle a situation, I have to say, well, because children are people. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and we wouldn't do this to any other person. So and if we continue to bring that back to the center of our interactions, that would you do this to any other person? Mm. Now, and, and let's put it in the terms like, well, we have a child whose brain is not fully developed. Yeah. So there, there, is, there are skills that they, there is guidance that they need. They need direction. They need limits. They need boundaries because there are a lot of things. They don't come in the world knowing. Right. But let's just say this is an adult person who also has limited abilities because of a disability, because of some challenge that they have. Let's put it there. Would you (laughs) think that the most effective way to help a person who has a special kind of need because of their level of development, would it make sense to pop them in the mouth if they said something rude or out of place? You know, would it make sense to hit them to communicate this message? It would absolutely not be the case. Or let's go to the other end of an elderly person who is start who their their mental faculties are starting to decline. Yes. And so they're displaying behaviors that we don't think are, are, are socially acceptable. Would it make sense for that person to be treated in this way? No. You know, or animals. Would yeah. you treat an animal this way who doesn't understand human social behaviors yeah. in order to get them? Most of it would be illegal to do most of the things. People have gone to jail for longer periods of time for the way they've treated animals. Yes. Um, but with children, we're like, but that's discipline. Oh, that's so interesting that you bring up elders and animals because mm-hmm. people do, I used to work in a nursing home, elder abuse is a real thing. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and when people feel like they don't have control over what they want you to do, yep. they, they, they use violence. violence. Uh, but you mentioned bringing up or talking about what discipline really means. Yes. Do you mind- Oh, Before go I go to that, can I just yeah. say one thing about 
the differences because absolutely animal yeah. abuse does exist and elder abuse does exist there is at least more legal recourse for those individuals right like yes. there's no there's no standing to say well i beat my grandma because she wasn't listening i was just trying to discipline her Ooh. you know there's no there's no space for that there's no room for that and 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 there there are limits with dogs too like there's some stuff yeah. that people can get away there are some harsh forms of training that probably should be illegal too but for for the most part there are still over a dozen states where corporal punishment is legal within schools that's how normalized it is wow i've had a a, a woman say to me like quote like basically her right her legal right to hit her kid she's like if the kids if, if the school can beat my kids then why should not be able to and that's what she's standing on. She also mentioned how she was like, it's only abuse if you're le leaving marks or bruises on them, wow. anything beneath that. So now people can stand on, you know, the, the limits that the law place on it. Wow. But just like with anyone who's doing something regularly with people like domestic violent men who beat women, they learn yeah. where to hit them, where the marks aren't visible, right? Like there's ways yes. to get around that. Thank you for bringing that up because I wasn't yeah. aware. And if you live in a state like I do, or you like, it can feel so removed to talk mm -hmm. about violence on children in schools and yep. in homes being that regular. That's so important yep. to note that that's still a reality. Yes, for many, many, it's far more states. I think it might be 13 or 14, maybe. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. Um. So discipline. Yeah. Um, yes, I think that the word discipline uh, has changed over time, but most people, when you ask them what is discipline, um, they see it as being synonymous with punishment. And so when people see content like mine, you know, people who label themselves as conscious or gentle parents, they say, well, y'all don't discipline your kids. Yeah. And the origins of the word um, discipline have Latin roots. Um, and those, and so it's, I, I can't remember which is which, but it's disciplina and disipulis, um, and respectively mean to teach mm. and to learn. And so if you think about the words that we are familiar with that have this as a root, uh, a disciple biblically was a student, you know, not a recipient of punishment. It was someone who followed, you know, a leader. I mean, and then it, it, it you know, it's, it's expanded to someone specifically following a, a leader, but it was a student, a disciple is a student. And then yeah. if you think about at the collegiate level or any kind of in academia, a discipline is what you study. And then it's gotten convoluted yes. over centuries into being equivalent to punishment. So when, People, you know, hear that I don't punish my child um, in, in, in any way. They're just like, well, how is she going to learn right from wrong? You know, it's, it's impossible without negative associations, which is the purpose of punishment, right? Like, yes, you do something wrong. I'm going to make you feel bad about it by pairing some negative experience with this behavior. Mm. Um, that is not part of a learning process. Discipline in those moments when my daughter does something undesirable, something that is not socially acceptable, I teach her what she should do in that moment. That's the learning. Because yeah. what I'm focusing on is her, the behavior she's going to use moving forward in this particular circumstance instead of shaming her for the mistake. And most people don't see this as a mistake. There's a, a lot of history behind why we see children as inherently bad and evil. Yes. But we um most of the time punishment is about i have to make you feel bad for what you did and that's how you learn what to do in the future right instead i teach from the moment of the infraction this is what you do instead in this moment you yes. replace that and um most people see discipline as something that is harsh and controlling when yeah. 
really discipline is liberatory yes because it 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 leads to independence you know the what what most people are referring to as discipline is actually uh seeking obedience mm. and and obedience requires like reflexive responsive responsiveness to authority yes so that means an authority figure always has to be present there's no freedom in that that means yeah. the authority figure is constantly present and that's what you know the modern version of discipline depends on i need you to you know humble yourself and 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 correct your behavior and look sorrowful and feel bad and shame Ooh. you know when you receive this punishment and then we're like now you've learned your lesson when they've learned nothing but there's a whole there are a whole there's a lot of things that are happening to the brain when shame is used as the primary teaching tool but yes. when you use teaching to teach yes. there's no shame connected to it and then the behavior can actually change and then the point of learning is that you possess it right discipline is something you possess it is not something that is done to you and if your goal is actually discipline then you are working towards giving your child skills that they can apply independently without the presence of an authority figure and that's liberatory mm. okay maybe you are hitting on some church we just got went to church i think because one <laughs> of the things that i became so captivated about the teachings of jesus where he was a liberator so his job was to set his people literally free from roman occupation and oppression mm -hmm. so he was teaching them these things and, and one of the teachings that i remember hearing as a kid you probably heard it too was turn the other cheek it was taught as this, like, just keep taking abuse kind of thing. Yeah. When really what he was trying to give his people was strength. You have this within you. If you get hit with this hand, make them hit you like you're equal to them. Mm. So by doing that, you're standing up. They're te he's teaching them strength rather than teaching them restraint and just shut up and just yeah. do what I say. Yeah. And I think it's amazing to me that this religion that has taken over the world and has taught us all that we're were terrible from birth mm -hmm. it was actually meant to do exactly what you're talking about right. which is disciple us into what it means to be most fully human and so i love that you talk about not assuming that there's some character flaw but that it's a child just learning i love there's this one video you showed where your daughter is asking for a drink but not asking for a drink she's yeah. like sort of saying I forget what exactly she said, but you said like, I want juice. Yeah. <laughs> she's, like, she's like demanding it. Yeah. Yeah. So can you walk us through that little scenario where a lot some parents mm -hmm. might be like uh, a little more stern or put mm -hmm. down the child? How did you walk through that scenario with your daughter? So this was a really simple one. And she uh, she just she saw the waitress walking by with a cup of lemonade, which is one of her favorites. And she goes, I want juice. And I just said, what's the question you want to ask my, my love? And she goes, can I have juice? And so, of course, we've we've built up to this being so simplistic, um, yeah. you know, over time and just saying that, you know, if you want people to listen to you, you don't command, you don't demand, hmm. you can request something because they have the right to say no. And this but this applies to all things with, that children say that most people feel like when their kids say things which are inevitably rude, that yeah. <laughs> they have to correct they have to correct it immediately because they want they don't want their child to be rude. And while this yeah. is a realistic concern because you're like, oh my goodness, she's speaking this way. What we're not realizing is that they're in the infancy of their brain development and they're also learning the language. And yes. so I've said this in other videos that for a child who is learning their first language, give me and can I have, have the same meaning. Yes. And it's the same 
thing is like I've had, you know, being in New York City, you might encounter a tourist and they'll, you know, and they'll say like an awkward, like, let's, you know, someone who's not native to English might say something awkward in an attempt to being polite. Yes. Like, like, please stop, listen to me. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it's like, that would be rude for a native speaker to say, please stop, listen to me. <laughs> right. But for a person who doesn't understand the subtle nuances of the tone and the inflection and the grammar of English, they are communicating to the best of their ability that they probably need something from you, right? right. That's and so our true. children, our children do the same thing. And so all they need, when I think about rude phrases, <laughs> I just think of it a bit like a grammatical correction. Yeah, I'm just going to replace the language with the appropriate way to say it in that moment. There's no judgment because again, punishment is about I'm going to make you feel bad for what you just said instead of you know assuming the best and. You just don't know. And the thing is, for, because their brains are developing, it takes a long time for this to become yes. permanent information in their minds. And so and that's why in that particular clip, she, I can now just say, what's the question? Yes. But it took time for us to get to me correcting in such a simple way. Yeah. But then I love that at the end of it, you say, my love. And it just yes. has this like... Yeah, I mean, why is there more to it that's that feels like there's this enmity or like strife between you two when you're just yeah. you're a parent trying to guide your child? Yeah. I love that you I've seen a few videos where you talk about the quality of your relationship with your child. Mm -hmm. And I wonder now, you know, as someone who doesn't I'm a high school teacher at a therapeutic school, so we talk a lot about trauma informed care mm -hmm. because we realize that so many adults and youth have gone through a lot in their lives. But if we're starting at a younger age, nurturing a the kind of relationship that you're talking about, nurturing the kind of self-love that you're encouraging, then I think we're talking about a different society in general. Yes, absolutely. Are we not? So yeah, absolutely. Is this something that you sort of incorporate into conversation or people are pretty aware when they're coming to you looking for guidance, like I'm in over my head, I don't know what I'm doing, Yeah. but I'm aware of how important this job is and where we're sort of going. Because I, you do, I, oh, you do. Um, no, no, I'm sorry. I just made me think you do classes, correct? So yes. you talk about discipline. You talk about um, uh, when people are in tantrums, which I would love to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, but that awareness of how big a responsibility this is must I, always be yeah. present. Yeah, I think that most people know that it's a big responsibility, but I think most people see their responsibility in parenting as correcting. Because yeah. I do think that it starts from this idea of children need to be corrected. So if, if not for our intervention, <laughs> they're spiraling downward. And, and, and so I think it's just starting with rethinking that idea that it's not like a fully clean slate. Children come <laughs> into the world with so much. Yes. But I don't believe it's coming in with evil that needs to be, you know, with this idea of like, you no. know, beating the devil out of them. <laughs> right. And no. we've, you know, adopted this idea and no one, some people do literally say this, but we, I, I think that without thought, people regurgitate the concept in other ways. And, and they yeah. believe this about themselves as well. If my mom wouldn't have done this to me, I would have turned out this way and that way. And I generally ask this, you know, it's like, why do you believe that about yourself? Mm. Why, why do you believe that about yourself? And, and a lot of time it's because they did something wrong at seven years old. So that would have continued because this, there's a, an idea of perfection. You know, as soon if you've done anything wrong in childhood, then you were just, you know, on your way to sex, drugs, rock and roll. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <that's>, right. <laughs> and, and not realizing, and this is because most of us are raising children without any idea of child development and how right. 
this exploration and this experimentation is going to lead to errors that are not socially acceptable. And yes. if we can just look at it as that wasn't socially acceptable, <laughs> this is what you need to do in the future. Yeah. It was right. just a mistake. Um, then I, I, then I feel like people's mission in parenting would just shift a little bit. It's not to like, you know, I, I think some people have this idea. I have succeeded if my child is not incarcerated and is employed yes. by the time they reach adulthood. Like that's because the opposite end is what people fear is that my kid is going to be, you know, not a contributing member to society. They're going yeah. to, you know, not be unhoused and begging because that would be like the full embarrassment or they're going to be um, criminal. Yeah. And then you failed. Right. And then like men might say about the women and to keep her off the pole kind of thing that you hear, oh, you know, that's yeah. the, that's the profession. You don't want them. Like those would be like the shame factors, right. but they feel like without the intervention, that's where they're headed as opposed to just focusing on the guidance and understanding that you can get them there and, and, and in emotionally sane ways. Yeah. Uh, for yourself and for them. And, and yes. I, it's, it's funny that you bring up the, the word intervention. I remember I used to work with people experiencing homelessness and then that show intervention was on TV at the same time. I don't know mm. if you heard. Yes. And I, I couldn't, I had a hard time watching it, but I remember being so frustrated that the parents were often the was sitting in this sort of position of now, you have messed up everything for us yeah. and now we're here calling you out. Yes. And it was so easy from my, from, you know, this angle to say, or to see that how they got there, not just because yeah. of the parents, because of the system that we live in, all this stuff, but there's so much of this, what you're talking about where we're just correcting. And then, you know, once kids get older, it's almost too much for us to bear that if they didn't turn out with a, with a job and not incarcerated, yeah. that we can't handle, that we had a hand in creating where they're at. Where they are. And I, I think one big thing that you said um, is about responsibility. Yeah. Is that part of the responsibility is the modeling, is the being the exemplar, is to being, is to understand. And so a lot of times, like you said, we're expecting things from children that we don't exhibit. And to that hypocrisy, when you're saying like, how did the kid get to where they are? So much of that, like the biggest thing that parents lack is the ability to regulate their own emotions. Yes. And we expect that from children at two years old, the moment they turn two and have a tantrum and you're beating your kid because they frustrated you and you don't see the hypocrisy or your kid hits someone and you're like, I can't deal. You know, I don't know what else to do that. You know, people will say this to me. I don't know what else to do to get him to stop hitting. So I hit him. <laughs> oh, like, my God. You know, and they, can't, and, they can't hear it. Right. For right. some reason. Yeah. Yes. And so. This is the thing that they don't realize that this is about skills. This is not about character. This is something that I talk about all the time. Yes. Our children are not flawed, you know, in any way re related to their character. They are lacking skills and our responsibility is to teach those skills. And the majority of skills can be taught through consistent modeling. Mm. Like back to the example of rude language. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of times, some of it is our children learning and fumbling with the language. Other is just replicating what they hear. Yes. So if you're saying move, watch out to your kid, as opposed to excuse me. If you if I model consistent excuse me's, I don't always have to say to my daughter, say excuse me, say excuse me, say excuse me, because it's going to just be like all the other words in her vocabulary, the natural thing that she understands that you say. They're not going to think of it as polite or impolite. It's just what you say when you yes. need to get between people. Oh. Because the same way that this is a pen, it's a pen because I, every time I pick it up, 
I say pen, you know, right. when I hand it to you, bring me the pen. And it's it's all part of language. If yes. modeling is polite and respectful, that's what they replicate because this is about language development. It's a skill, not about character. Yes. And I think that one of the troubles we have is that everything is moral in our minds. Yeah. Yes. We've been sh just shaped to think that way. Mm -hmm. I really want to talk about tantrums okay. <laughs> because um, it's even funny when you talked about a two and a half year old, we labeled children terrible. They say that they're in their terrible twos. Yes. They're, oh my God. And so, but I even, I have a 13 year old I, daughter, I have a nine year old son. And so even I'll give you an example from last night, my nine-year-old son, I'm putting him to bed. We're having a sweet time. My 13-year-old is having a moment. She's having a hard time. She needs something from the car and she starts screaming, banging doors. And my inclination is just to yell, just to like, yes. stop the, stop this from happening. Mm -hmm. Everyone's trying to sleep. Yeah. Um, I'm confident I didn't handle it well. I went up to her later that night. And I told her, like, I'm I'm sorry for the way that I handled that. I know that you were nervous about not having this. Um, and so we talked it out. Mm -hmm. What would you suggest in moments, whether they're 13 or two, um, when these things happen, I know for myself and my body, my anxiety goes up. Mm -hmm. So what do you suggest for those of us that have kids and deal with tantrums? What are some helpful tools in those moments? Oh, boy. So there are... <laughs> This, you know, I'm teaching a whole two hour class on this. So I'll make sure to, to sign up for it. Okay. <laughs> so, oh boy, let's start with one, just understanding where your child is developmentally, hmm. you know, helps you, helps you with your patience and understanding. It, yeah. it's, it doesn't solve it, but when you're dealing with an adolescent or a toddler, this kind of emotional dysregulation is far more frequent. Yeah. They are, these are the two periods in life. So between zero and six and between 12 eight, and 18 wow. are the biggest changes in the brain that happen in life. Yeah. And so in the adolescent years, which you're dealing with, the, the brain is almost doing a makeover, a full makeover. And so a lot is happening. A lot of people blame it on hormones and it's not as much about hormones as it is to do with this makeover that's happening in their brain that's preparing them for adulthood. Wow. There's so many changes happening. And, um, in fact, I just I'm I'm in the middle of reading the book Brainstorm by Daniel J. Siegel, which I highly recommend for anyone who's dealing with adolescent <laughs> challenges because he I think makes it, I'm I'm also a nerd when it comes to brain development. So I it feels tangible to me, but I think it, you you learn so much from him. Mm -hmm. And he talks about one, this desire for independence and freedom. So you're dealing with that like push and pull from teens. You're dealing with that push and pull, like get away from me, but I need you. And now you don't love me because you didn't give me the support I needed, but get away from me because I'd prefer my friends. You know, it kind of the same thing with toddlers is I want to yeah. do it by myself, but I can't do it by myself. And now I'm frustrated because I need help, but I don't want you to help me. And it's like <laughs> this paradox that's constant. And so a lot of the dysregulation literally comes from what's happening in their brain. Mm. So and I'm sorry, I can't help but go into some of the background, but with please do. It's so teens. helpful. So with the teens, um, you know, one of the things he 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 talks about is like the shedding. There's so much shedding happening in the brain. And to to know that this is why a lot of mental health issues are not revealed until like this final stage of development, because it's kind of like the brain is you'll hear about a lot of people in their young 20s. That's when yes. a lot of psychosis presents itself. And that's because of this final stage. It kind of prunes some things and reveals whatever was laying so. dormant for all those years because of this last huge change that's happening with the brain. Wow. That's why we see those things at that age. That's so interesting. 
Um, the other thing that's happening is this desire for a lot of dysregulation will come from the prior prioritization of the social group outside of the family. You know, mm. um, I want to be with my friends and they're upset about yeah. any slights that happen with that group. Like they yeah. are can be far more hurt about something that happens in their social group than with than what's in the family. That seems to be their priority. Yeah. And. Um, Which I, rem they, I remember myself. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, um, Daniel J. Siegel, you know, suggests that he thinks that this is part of kind of like an evolutionary process by that prevents inbreeding, that the brain actually has a desire to get away from the family, that to Amazing. be connected outside of the community to prevent inbreeding. So That's they actually amazing. like, I'm good. You know, you all are great, but I prefer people over here. And I so I think it. that's so interesting and logical of why there's such a strong pull outside of the family at this time. I mentioned some of these things just because it'll help you understand. We were just like, we were so close before. Why all of a sudden are you so upset? You know, I remember being so upset. Um, 13, I had my first boyfriend and I was I had every intention of kissing him for the first time at a dance when I was in eighth grade. And my mom decided to chaperone the dance. Oh no. And I lost it. Like I was sobbing hysterically and she could not understand it because we were so close before. Yeah. But I couldn't tell her that, that that was my plan, that that's what was going to happen at the party. No. But that's, you know, my mom being close to me, which was so important before the relationship with her, you know, was so important. It suddenly was like, this is not as important as what's happening yeah, at no. school. Right, and the right. thing is, we can't always get to the heart of it, but we do have to understand that. It is not just an attitude. It is not just something they're choosing to take on that the, the relationships outside of the family are top priority during this time. So just, just the understanding that helps. That is so helpful. <laughs> yes. Another final thing that I thought was really interesting that happens in the brain at this time is that they have a heightened sense of what's happening in the right side of the brain. So mm. where all the emotional, where you process information about facial expressions, and tone of voice, body language, all of those things. So like the left side of our brain will process words. I am angry with you. Mm -hmm. Or you, like if someone says to you, like, how are you doing? I'm good. It just processes. We need the right brain to hear the tone to see what's actually happening. You know, yep. how are you doing? Fine. Yeah. And you're like, something is up. I saw <laughs> that eye. I said, you know, we need both sides to make, yes. to, to, you know, complete meaning. Yes. For adolescents, they have, a heightened sense of feeling slighted by others. Yeah. So um, I thought this was really interesting. He, they um, studied adolescents and showed them like neutral facial expressions and it triggered parts of their brain that were like, that signaled attack, that signaled microaggressions, even though it was a neutral face. Wow. And this happens with people this age in a way that it doesn't. For other ages, it's, they, they can't help it. So even if you feel like you've said something, <laughs> in a completely neutral way that they should like, why are you flipping out? Why do you uh, think I was angry? Why do you feel this? Their brains literally are reading it differently in a more exaggerated way, leaning toward the negative than other people's brains. And so all of that's that- That's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's so helpful, right? Because you're like, how did we end up here? That's yes. how I feel, and like toddlers and teens, you're like, how, how did we end up here? Yes, right. <laughs> It's the underlying thing. And again, it doesn't solve the problem, yeah. but gives you a level of understanding to say like, my child hasn't lost it. Again, it's not character, 
but it is the brain is going through some serious things at this time and we tend to blame hormones which we i think it's similar to like when we say someone's being attention seeking oh, they're yeah. just looking for they're just seeking attention and we can put negative connotation right. on that in some ways it can be other times it's like and attention is a vital need you right. know <laughs> attention and connection um and so we reframe that oftentimes to say they're connection seeking instead of attention seeking because ah. then it's less there's an there's less of a negative connotation there Love that. and so now i think hormonal teens has a negative thing almost as if they can control it. even if it was hormones we still say oh, they're just hormone and we say it with this air air of disgust yeah because it's almost like they're just allowing these hormones to make them behave in these ways when really like their brain is going through quite a bit if you have you seen the movie Ugh. it's a kid's movie um one of the characters it's called inside out inside out so good yes yeah, yeah. Yeah, where you got you like all the, the activity is... in the brain. Yeah. Yes, yeah. but do you yeah. know? You, do you do you remember how like parts of the brain were crumbling? Mm -hmm. That is all scientifically based because oh. that's what's happening. Yeah, that's wild. That's wild. <laughs> that's so helpful, Joy. I just, yeah. I I think it's really helpful to because one of the things that you really lean into is imagination when you're parenting in a way that's trying to be more curious about what's happening with mm -hmm. your kid rather than dictating what yes. they should be doing. Um, curiosity is necessary. Imagination is necessary because in those moments when one of those tantrums is happening, it's probably because of a bunch of those little cuts that you would never think is a cut where you're just yeah. like, um, Hey, it's time for dinner. And they took that as like, why are you yelling at me? Yes, you know, yes. and it's a bunch of that throughout the day, throughout the week. Yes. And then it explodes into something. Yeah. And so what it's one of those things that if you're not, if we don't maybe take a moment to pause, is that what you like encourage yeah, people to do? Like, <laughs> yes. And so I mentioned those things because knowing some of the ways our kids operate can help us navigate around them to prevent them to avoid some of it. You can't avoid all of them right? yes. because they are people. But, you know, for instance, to go to the other end of uh, tantrums with toddlers, my, one of my clients uh, um, came to me with a challenge. Her and her husband were both so distraught because their kid had a huge tantrum. Mm. He refused to put on his shoes and he was spitting on the floor, things I had never seen him do before. And so I was just like, and, and all they were just fixated on this. We didn't know what to do. And so they were fixated on what to do, what they should have done in the tantrum because it lasted yeah. a long time and they were just like, what, do, you know, help us. Yeah. And so I was just like, let's rewind. What happened before that? He was playing with his toys. And we told him to clean up because we were going to the park. And I was like, well, there you have it. Yeah. <laughs> and so now this didn't make sense to them because they didn't know that toddlers perpetually live in the present tense. Mm. And so, and, and when I say toddlers, uh, th this is the first plane of development. So we're talking about up to age six and seven years old. You might see some of these same behaviors. Most people think, a well, because we use toddlers to talk about like two and three year olds. Right. But in terms of brain development, we're seeing similar behaviors, less extreme, depending on the child up to age six and seven. Wow. And so even though the it was clean up to go to the park, that's forever away. What? Yes. Get in the clean up, go in the car, get dressed, you know, drive to the park. That might as well be next week. Yes. Right now is forever. And you're telling me to stop having fun right now. This is right. all I can understand right now, even if the other side of this is exciting. This doesn't mean that kids have zero sense of time. Yeah. But this is the reason why timers and preparation and cleanup songs, this is why we do those things. Yeah. So to avoid tantrums with toddlers, I just came up with this ridiculous acronym. You let them pee, P-E-E, -E. pee, prepare them. So 
you know, this is coming. We're about yeah. to do this five minutes, five more times you go down the slide. Here's the timer. You empower them by giving them choices. Do you want me to help you clean up? Or are you going to do it? Mm -hmm. um, should we, uh, do you want to press the remote to turn the TV off? Or do you want to go press the button on the actual TV? You start to let them feel like they have control over the situation mm -hmm. by giving them these choices. They kind of forget they're, they're engaged by the empowerment because yes. toddlers love to be empowered. And finally, you engage them. You do it in fun ways. This is why there are cleanup songs, not just because <laughs> uh, it's a cool thing to do in preschool. It's because yeah. you're, you're, you're leaning into what's appropriate at this age. Yeah. I'm engaged in this song, and so I forget that the present tense is about to end. And we're going <laughs> yeah. to the next thing. And so, you know, my, with my daughter, do you want to race to the car? I bet you can't pick up all of those toys by the time I count to 10. You know, yes. you come up with fun ways to do it. So that's P-E-E. Mm. And that's, again, that's navigating around the tantrum. Yeah. You're not going to get all of them because there are going to be times when you can't prepare, where it's a sudden shift and you might yeah. just have to pick them up. So when you actually hit the tantrum, mm. the most important thing is to not be dismissive of their emotion. I don't care if it seems insignificant. The most important thing you can do is validate emotions. I understand you're feeling this way. It must be really hard. Yes, you must be so angry. I know it's hard to do X, Y, and Z. You must be so disappointed. I get it. Mm. And you still have to keep to your boundaries depending on where it is. Like if you're going someplace, you know, I think most people feel like when I say that you validate emotions, that it also means that the kid gets whatever they want. Yeah. And that's permissiveness. And, right. and it's so interesting that people have such a hard time separating val the validation of emotion with a kid now taking over you know the parenting yes role. it just means i know this is hard i know baby but so much we're just like oh stop it's just this oh we have to go anyway so just stop right like yeah and that escalates that escalates because oftentimes they just want to be heard that's a really interesting thing to point out that oftentimes if we're just saying just stop we're actually more on their level than if we're parenting them which would be like validating their emotions yes. but so often if that's the your approach uh, people assume you just want to be friends with your kid or something yeah. like that. But yes. really what you're doing is just showing them that what they're experiencing is real. Yes. They can trust themselves and mm -hmm. it's not scary and you're with them. I just think that's such an important thing to hone yes. in on. Yeah. One of, one of the things that I have um, realized is that we do this quite naturally in infancy. Mm. Um, we express empathy for our children's emotions. You know, like you have, your, your infant is crying. And we mirror that we come over with the with the face like, oh, my baby, you must be so hungry. Let's yeah. get some food into you. And, and this helps our children mirroring, mirroring with your facial expressions, with your tone, that what you're feeling is real. And I understand helps yes. them to process their emotions. It starts in infancy. But once our kids can talk and we feel like they should know better, we stop mirroring naturally. And mirroring is a, is, is a vital part of brain development that helps our kids understand their emotions because mm. If mommy says it's real, then it's real. Oh, I'm feeling this. And when we can help them put names to that, that also helps. And then we can help them learn the behavior that's appropriate when they're feeling that thing. Yes. Then we are bu building healthy um, and strong emotional intelligence. But most <laughs> of the time we lean toward dismissiveness. But if we can think about infancy and stop thinking that our kids know everything by the time they hit four, you know, and, and, le and lean for a lifetime into mirroring because we don't do it with our kids, but then we return to it in adulthood. Like if you saw a friend crying, let's just say, if I have a girlfriend who is crying because 
her boyfriend, who she's been complaining about, who was no good, the, through the entire relationship, broke up with her. And she's hysterical about it. Mm. Now, I could say, stop. Now, you know he wasn't any good anyway. Just stop. Why are you crying? He wasn't worth it. We would never do that. Well, most of us would <laughs> to our friends. Yeah. And if we did, it wouldn't help. Mo right. Most importantly, if that is what you would do, it wouldn't be helpful to your friend. Right. right? right. Um, but most of us wouldn't. Right. We yeah. would come at some point we might get into, well, do you remember when he did this, this and this to help them bring some logic to the situation? Yes. But most of us might be quiet and just be there as a quiet support. Let mm. them vent, let them get it out and be like, I hear you. Mm. You know, if, if even if you don't want to agree. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's the best thing that ever happened to me. You would at least at least just be an ear. Yes. But for some reason, for kids, we're like, but they need to learn that they can't cry just because. Right. Although as adults, we cry for things that we probably shouldn't all the time. Right. And we can get to the logic <laughs> at some point. We can get to the logic at some point. But in the moment of dysregulation, you just need an ear. You need to vent it. And for someone to be willing to listen is actually what helps you at least calm down. It doesn't solve yes. the problem. It helps you calm down. And when we're dealing with our kids doing things that are driving us nuts, especially when we feel like it's out of proportion, our first priority, instead of thinking about they need to learn, is let's just get them calm. Yeah. Learning can't happen in moments of dysregulation. And so once you, and, and validating and just being a calm presence in the face of dysregulation is the best thing that you can do for a child. And then you can start talking about logic and appropriate behavior in those moments. Uh. But this is where you grow as a parent because we don't have to do this for other people. Right. We don't have to be the calm in other people's storm daily, right? On a regular basis, in absurd storms of spitting storms, of hitting right. storms, <laughs> of banging doors while other people are sleeping storms. We don't have to be that for anybody else, which is why the parenting, when you're working on being a conscious parent and being aware, is a transformative experience for the adult. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's so, so good that l learning doesn't happen in dysregulation is an important yes. one to yes. hammer. Also, I think, I guess I want to know your thoughts about why you think we have such a hard time and why we expect more from kids than we do from adults ourselves. Do you think it's triggering some things for us from childhood? What do you, what do you think is happening for us? Maybe not necessarily just in tantrums, but in general, when we're struggling with knowing that our kids are at a, in a developmental part of their life, why do you think we struggle with um, being more conscious in general? I think there are many layers to it. I think it starts from the opening of our conversation of the dehumanization of children hmm. and viewing them as property. And I think property have always been viewed as having to have higher expectations than the owners. Oof. You know, if you think about um, thinking about enslaved people, you know, being accused of being lazy. Yep. Right. Yep. We are the yep. working sun up to sundown in heat with very little nourishment without being in possession or ownership of our, our, our own being, our own children, um, you know, building the country. Yep. But these people are labeled as lazy. Right. So when they complain, you're lazy. When you do any, again, the people who might be sitting fanning and drinking lemonade yeah. are calling the people who are out doing the work lazy because they have the nerve to complain about that work. Mm. Or, you know, a woman who is you know maintaining a household and gets hit by her husband because he's upset by something and she attempts to leave him and it's like or she you know tries to get help from someone you're ungrateful yeah you know 
and and it's and so again it's these labels that are really projection yes and i think it's in the foundings of a country that a lot of people don't look at our relationship with children and again if you look at these comparisons and children being in the same role as these groups these formerly marginalized groups that we have expect unrealistic expectations of these groups to be completely subservient to our needs to mm. make us comfortable where you know when you dehumanize people their role is to serve the authority figure and what they need or want or desire is not important and your value is placed on your ability to serve yes on your ability to meet my needs yes and so although most people would, would not say that oh, i've i've not internalized all of those things but it is impossible to live in a country that is grounded in colonialism and colonial power and not absorb these messages um about hierarchy it, it's just what we see people who uh, you know or are, are beneath us are supposed to behave in a certain way and so mm -hmm. these same roles will play out in abusive you know work um situations is like you know you do what you're told and so and and mm. to think about this is also through a capitalistic lens that people are preparing their kids from childhood for how they're supposed to uh, behave as employees right you need to get this in check now because your boss is like and they'll say something like this to a three or four year old well they need to learn because when they get a job they're you know and most of the time we're not talking about you know when when i i don't think that a lot of people really think about when they say when you get a job and and so know that the majority of the people that make these comments are working class or poor, um, underprivileged, under-resourced in a lot of ways, that we don't realize that this mindset of being a lifelong employee, um, but an employee that's kind of just a cog in a wheel, not, you know, not an employee, the kind of employee that's expected to be innovative and creative in a space. Because, you know, this idea of obedience and doing exactly what you're told is not desired in most of the professions no. that we would aspire our children to have. Right, <laughs> exactly, majority. exactly. I mean, you know, more than anything, the what message that's coming through to me is that this is like the ground for justice work. Yes. Starts at home, mm -hmm. just in, in teaching our kids to value themselves, to teach them skills rather than look at them as moral failures. All yes. these things are like, it's the grounding for justice work. Yeah. And you know it's so interesting because you know a lot of people feel like we're you should be preparing your your children for the unfair world yeah and most people feel like well you have you prepare them for that by replicating it and you know if i don't treat them this way i need to replicate the real world in my home and the reality is the real world is not even as harsh as some parents are on their children because as adults you have a little bit more voice um than we give children or i say a lot more than the average child has um, and when I think yes. about this for myself, my mom wouldn't have been labeled a conscious parent. She didn't read any books or anything, but I think her whole parenting style was grounded in seeing my humanity. Mm. And so I always felt that. And I, again, I think it's amazing the more I, you know, like use definitions and come up with all of these things. I'm like, my mom did that, right? Without even reading any books or having child development, she just, oh, child development knowledge necessarily, she just saw me as a person. And so what that, that didn't lead to, so I wasn't, she attempted to punish me because she thought like I did something wrong, like, you know, but it like, it never lasted. And, um, and, the, and they never hit me. My, both of my parents mm. had agreed to because they both were beat severely. Like they're from the South and you know, mm. all the things you hear, like picking your own uh, switch and hitting with belts. My oh, mom man. talks about being beat with um, 
an ironing board cord with shoes with wooden heels that left a curve on her face. Like that was what my parents experienced. And they both decided we're not going to do that with our child. Wow. And so I, again, and being indoctrinated in this society, I just thought I was getting away with stuff. I kind of just thought my parents were soft because they never told me they weren't wow. going to hit me. I just thought, I thought I deserved it at some points because yeah. other people did like for talking back in adolescence. Right. I didn't get hit, but my friends did. So I mm -hmm. kind of just thought I was getting away with something. Yeah. But From their perspective, you were too. Yeah. Yeah. But the, it's just, they knew they were trying other things. So a lot of times it was just talking through. Yeah. But when I, what I see that I think my mom modeled for me in centering my humanity in the relationship and treating me like a person, I think most of what she did was discipline. I'm going to teach, I'm going to model. And that's how I feel like I am who I am. And I, I'm, I'm employed and, you know, not incarcerated without yeah. punishment. But I think she, she taught me that I don't have to accept the life that most people are trying to prepare their kids for. And I think that I reflected on this. I did a podcast on teens a few weeks back and we were supposed to talk about our teen years. And what I remember is that I was advocating for myself at a pretty young age. And the one that stood out to me the most, so I was a band nerd. I went to a performing arts high school mm. and I was in the orchestra in the top orchestra in the school at the time. And I wanted first chair. It's like such a nerdy thing, <laughs> me. but I, I was a clarinetist. I wanted first chair clarinet, me and another person. And the conductor, the teacher gave it to two other kids and it, there was no audition process. Now I didn't want it to just be given to me. I just kept inquiring, when are we going to audition for this spot? Mm. And he just kept putting us off. And I remember going to his office and just saying, Hey, I, if, if I don't get it, I think that's fine, but can we at least have a fair process? Can we audition to see who's going to get it? Because well, we, he never listened to us independ independently. And those kids might have been better than me. It doesn't matter. He might have. He's a teacher. He might have just sensed it. But yeah. he could have appeased me. Yeah, for sure. For a, a fair process. You know, not that he had to. Yeah. But it would have alleviated my concerns if there was a fair process. Yes. And I still didn't get the first chair. But he just pretty much ignored my request and another girl who came with me. And so I boycotted my graduation. So I didn't play at my graduation. And my whole life not, i went to the graduation wow. but i'm like i'm not gonna perform on stage because this was happening in my senior year it was important to me i was auditioning to go to performing arts colleges and so like if i could get it i wanted to try to earn it you know and it wasn't yes. about it, again it didn't make me spoiled that i wasn't punishment i wanted to earn the seat i just wanted yes. a fair shot i wanted a fair process and i'm probably the only kid who has ever you know approached <laughs> yeah. the teacher to say create a fair process i'm yeah. not just accept you deciding you know, Oof. and so this is to me, not that that changed my life, but that's the person it turned me into at 17. Yep. That I don't have to just stand for injustice. Mm. I'm going to have the confidence to even approach an adult who's in a position of authority of, to me and say that what you're doing is unfair. I want a different process. And when I didn't get that process, you know, and not that it hurt him in any way, but I'm like, my whole life I've had to sit on the stage of graduation because I've been in band since I was in elementary, yeah. you know? So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to actually be part of the crowd and enjoy my graduation from the seat since we didn't get this process. And so me and this other girl, we didn't say anything. We didn't tell them. We just didn't show up, you know, at the time that we're supposed to. And we sat in our seats for our graduation, not on stage. Um, so that's like one of my moments when I think, what my mom modeling, and she did this from childhood. If, if, you know, she heard if I told her that somebody did something at school, an adult did something, 
I never had to be afraid to tell her because mm. it was an adult. I would tell her and I'd hear the phone calls and she'd come to school with me the next day. Hey, can I speak to someone about this? Yes. You know, so I know I had to be honest about it, right? Because yeah. my mom was going to show up <laughs> you know, <laughs> to advocate for me, but it made me understand. And I think without her realizing it, her seeing my humanity and advocating for everyone to acknowledge my humanity, not to just see me as a child, that I, you know, I wasn't even fully grown before I was like, this is what life is. When something is not fair, you talk about it, even to positions of, of authority, you don't have to just accept life. And so that's my resistance. I think conscious parenting, again, is liberatory. It is, um, it's liberation work, absolutely, yes. justice work. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope this conversation inspired some new thoughts or questions within you. Until next time, peace, my friends.